To all who come to this happy place, welcome. Disneyland is your land. Here age relives fond memories of the past. And here youth may savor the challenge and promise of the future. Disneyland is dedicated to the ideals, the dreams, and the hard facts that have created America with the hope that it will be a source of joy and inspiration to all the world. Thank you. Come along, hop up here, and we'll go for a jolly ride. The open road, the dusty highway. <laughs> Come, I'll show you the world. Ladies and gentlemen, we direct your attention to high on the icy slopes of the Matterhorn. Jungle Cruise Base, this is Branco Beauty. We have run aground just south of Manaus. All hands are fine. We will wait till the tides change. Over. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you're listening to WDW Radio on your internet dial. Hello and welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangiello, and this is show number 189 for the week of September 26th, 2010. I just returned from Destination D, the D23 event celebrating the 55th anniversary of Disneyland. This two-day event took guests on a journey through the design, creation, debut, and history of the world's first Disney theme park through presentations, panels, screenings, speakers, Disney legends, a scavenger hunt, and even a concert of memorable songs from the Disneyland Resort. On this week's roundtable, we'll recap the events, discussing our expectations, surprises, reviews, and memories. We'll then look towards what's coming next for D23 in Walt Disney World and at next year's Expo. I'll have a few announcements and then play more of your voicemails at the end of the show, so sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. Your attention, please. The Santa Fe and Disneyland passenger train, E.P. Ripley, now loading on track number one for a trip around Walt Disney's Magic Kingdom. All aboard! Are you 23? That's how it all got started. More than a year ago, out of nowhere, Disney asked that very cryptic question and immediately started a flurry of speculation on so many of the online Disney communities. And somewhere around March of 2009, Disney called together a conference and announced the the creation of something unprecedented in the Disney community, 
D23, the first official Disney fan club. And just followed up soon thereafter with the announcement of the first D23 Expo, which was going to be a four-day gathering in Anaheim, California, of not just Disney fans, but the Disney company and community as a whole. And they brought together so many aspects and elements of the Disney company, from the parks and resorts to Radio Disney, the films, TV, and so, so much more. And really what was, for many of us, one of the highlights of our Disney experiences beyond the parks. Fast forward a little bit more. They held a number of events in Disneyland and Walt Disney World, celebrating the holidays and even their first year anniversary earlier this year. Not too long ago, they surprised us when they announced that there would be no D23 Expo this year. And many, myself included, were disappointed at that news, but they did tell us of something that they called Destination D. And that was going to be a very different event, celebrating not just the D23 community, but also Disneyland's 55th anniversary at the Disneyland Resort. So from September 24th and 25th in 2010, at the Disneyland Hotel, they held Destination D. And I thought, we're actually here in Disneyland right now at the last day of Destination D. Wanted to do a roundtable recap of the events, talk about everything that took place over the last few days. So I will go around the virtual roundtable, ask you to please, especially for the first person to my left, I ask, what's your name and where you're from? Oh, jeez. That's good enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Hello. Why don't you get? Why don't you introduce me, Luke? This podcast no, is sponsored by Becky Mankin you. from MEI and Mouse Fan Travel, your official and authorized recommended travel product, and of course, good friend and companion here for <laughs> most of the Destination D events. Especially <laughs> Thursday. Yeah, we'll talk about that one, right? Yeah, because because Destination D for us kind of began yeah. the night before, and it's going to continue a little sure bit did. after. Hello, uh, Doug from Rhode Island. Lee from Los Angeles. Lori from Kentucky. Jeremy from Utah. And I'm Scott from Walt Disney World's Backyard. Show off. (laughs) (laughs) This is Disneyland. We're talking Disneyland. And, uh, yeah, this, you know, like I said, when, for me, the D23 Expo last year and the four days that encompassed all the different events, it was a whirlwind, but for me was one of the best things that I've done as part of sort of the, the Disney experience beyond the theme parks. And, there was so much about it that we enjoyed from the exhibits to the collector's forum to the, the relationships and the friendships that were made there. Uh, it was an amazing event. And I was very disappointed when I heard that it wasn't coming back this year because as the expo ended last year, the mind was already racing about other things that we were going to do because I had a table, just like you, Becky, next to me, uh, sort of a, a one giant booth, as it were, uh, and we so enjoyed it. We were already sort of starting to think of how we were going to plus it up this year. Oh, absolutely. We we walked out of that one. We were packing up the booth and going, okay, what do we do to make this ex- exciting as electric as it was for the first event? And we came up with some great ideas. Now, Scott, you, um, you came... This is actually one of the first box events, too. But you were sort of out of the box. You flew cross-country. Actually, this was really sort of your home park. Did you sort of have that same feeling about the expo last year and some of that disappointment this year absolutely but um, you know when they surprised us with this destination d i mean i was very excited because this would be all about the 
the my you know my favorite place, Disneyland. So I was super excited about that. Yeah, and one of the big differences between the expo last year, because it was it was an expo with a show floor and a lot of different exhibits, was this was going to be much much smaller. This was held at the Anaheim Convention Center. This was going to be in Disneyland's own hotel, uh, but this was not going to be about all those aspects of the Disney Company. This was going to be focused primarily on. Disneyland, and again, not just celebrating the D23 fan community, but giving them a chance to get together and do some of the special things that D23 liked to try and do in the past year and a half or so. And we saw some of the things like the first anniversary in Walt Disney World and some of the other special events, the dinners with Dave Smith and, and some of those Imagineer experiences. Uh, when you saw that it was going to be for... Did all, anybody else come to, to the expo last year? Anyone else? No. Lee, now, well, you're, this is kind of your backyard, so this was probably a no-brainer for you. Jeremy, you live in Utah. Was this something that you saw and was like, I- I've got to go? The Destination D itself? Yes. I, I love Disneyland. This is my home park, so I definitely made sure I wanted to be to this uh, presentation that they did. And that's the other thing, too. This was not the same kind of thing. This really was a series of presentations. And I think what Disney did was they looked at some of the things that were so very popular from last year's event. They saw that things like the legend ceremony and the Imagineering things, those were the ones that had the longest lines that people got shut out of. Miley Cyrus, Johnny Depp, Radio Disney, awesome. But these are the things that the D23, for lack of a better term, hardcore fans really wanted to see. Do you think, do you get the sense that they sort of wanted to pluck out some of those things that they felt were most popular and deliver that to the fans this year? The interesting thing, even backing up a little bit, is remember when they announced Destination D? We had no idea what they were planning from the beginning, and we all kind of looked at it and went, we've got to go, just because the expo was so, so great. What could they possibly follow up with? So this is... It's its own animal. It's going to be hard to compare, but it was really a, a eclectic little mix of history and pieces that kind of drew you in once we finally saw what they were going to do with the with the event. And that's a really good point because it was it's very very different. But they did say, okay, we're not doing the expo, but we've got something called Destination D, right. and we're like, hmm, for months, right? We're like, hmm, but I got to go. I got to go. I got to book it and see what it is. And they sort of released what the schedule of events was going to be. Very late. We knew that there was going to be things like the weird Disney and the legends and stuff like that. And I think that's why, for a lot of us, we said we have to go. For me, really, this was just in the interest of research. Of um, <laughs> and there's food involved somewhere. There's, oh, listen, I'm going to talk about my renewed love of Disneyland and its food and the introduction of corn dogs by Scott Otis. Uh, but yeah, and what they did was, you know, sort of relatively close to when they put tickets up on sale is when they released. Uh, an idea of some of the events that were coming and then it wasn't until very very recently that they really introduced the schedule of events were you guys sort of all early adopters of, of knowing that you wanted to come when you heard about Destination D especially for the people that never came before or did you wait and, t- and to see what was going to be here I actually came out for Becky's birthday world of color dessert <laughs> oh. party it just happened to be during <laughs> Destination D so I didn't come out for it. It was my first trip, yes. It's a great excuse because, of course, with all of the fans that that were here, and, of course, you've got such a love for Disney that it it just kind of drew you, the whole ball of wax. This this is your first trip to Disneyland as well? Correct, yep. What about you? 
Um, totally different experience. Kimberly Knight and I had decided very early on we were going to come, and we were actually sitting on the computer waiting for the clock to strike the magic time to order our tickets, and we got in, and we're amazed. Yeah, and that's the very interesting thing about some of the D23 events as a whole is how quickly they sell out, uh, especially in Walt Disney World where maybe uh, some of the, the venues are a little bit smaller. I mean, the the first anniversary event sold out almost immediately. Some, what are some of the events that you guys have gone to in Walt Disney World? Magic and Merriment sold out in less than five minutes. So, I did the Flowers and Fireworks event, and th- that one went pretty fast, too. But I, uh, I did get these Destination D tickets the very first day they were on sale. I had no idea what it was going to be. In fact, actually, because earlier events had sold out so fast, I actually bought two tickets. <laughs> Um, not knowing if, if if somebody else would need one, so. Well, and I think too, like so for me, when they started doing things like opening up the archives and the studios to tours, uh, I was very fortunate to get one of the tickets to the very first archives tour, and that for me, and I've been able to see and do a lot since I started doing this stuff, was just the most incredible, memorable experience because that was sort of the backstage that nobody ever got to see to get inside the archives to get onto the studio light lot so when i heard about destination d i anticipated an experience like that and again one that sold out in a matter literally of seconds online it sold out actually before it even went on sale it was scheduled to go at <laughs> 10 o'clock and the tickets went on sale at uh, nine fifty-six, and they were gone before 10 o'clock hour so, yeah. That was- well, I don't think that they anticipated the reaction that they got to that, the, the response that there was going to be. And since then, they start opening up more and more. And this year, they're going to continue to open that up because they know how many people got shut out of something that was a group of 50 at a time. I think it was maybe three groups that first day. Yeah. They, this year, I think they're doing – they did uh, three or four different um, tours of the studio itself. But they did uh, – two tours at a time this time three times a day so they did six tours through the studios and amazing tour guides throughout the entire thing i mean laura was my tour guide i believe she was yours also and again it's that access and just sort of being there being in the archives look i've told the bird story 500 times but i'm telling you dave smith put on some gloves when you're handling the bird for god's sake um so something else happened too becky when we heard about this and the disappointment that we had last year because there was no collector form there wasn't going to be an, an opportunity for some of us who there's a business aspect of it or, or uh, an additional aspect of it for us that we were unable to have something like the fan forum and the collectors forum but we knew that we wanted to do something else as a community because the D23 is about not just the D23 community but all the Disney communities we wanted to do something for WW radio listeners and again something that was kind of special. We knew a lot of people would be coming in on Thursday for the events that were going to be started on Friday. You're getting that smirk on your face that we always had because the wheel started to turn. And what we put together, in addition to just to having sort of a meet of the month in Disneyland, which was unique for me um, because I, this is not my home park and this is not yet. It's interesting. I got to say, on that piece, to see your face, if if we say, "Hey, let's go to the haunted mansion and watch you try to go right," and the rest of us go left, it's kind of like we have to actually kind of lead you around. It's kind of neat. Nothing here is where it's supposed to be. I walk it's around. I, I hit dead ends. There's a fantasy fair. There's there's critter country. There's no way out. But <laughs> I'm I'm putting down the map and I'm and I'm getting better. And we'll talk about some of the guidance that I received. A lot of firsts. A lot of firsts for me on this trip. And 
one of the things that I had never done before was World of Color. And not only not only done before, but I did not watch the broadcast. I did not watch a video. I didn't see any pictures. You didn't look I, at YouTube or anything? You didn't watch any of them? Nothing. Really? You, I would, didn't know the theme song. I, all I knew was that it was Bellagio fountains with color. That was what I had <laughs> in my mind. And so what we thought we would put together, again, this event was sponsored by MEI and Mouse Fan Travel, was... <laughs> Because how because how busy that's it. Because World of Color is such an incredibly popular show, so much so that you have to get fast passes outside the park early in the day. We said, wouldn't it be cool if we could plus that experience by giving people a private viewing area? And hey, it's all about the food. Let's throw some dessert in as well. And then of course you and I, unbeknownst to everybody who is coming plan some surprises as well. And we kept the secret. I gotta say, we did a really good job. It was you, me, and Disney were the only ones that knew what we were doing. And uh, of course, I just want to kind of lay out there for people who haven't seen World of Color, it's not the easiest show to see because you really do have to plan to either uh, get one of the dining packages or get in line for the Fast Pass. Then once you get the Fast Pass, you have to get in the other line to wait to be led to the area you're supposed to be in. Then you have to fight for the area in your little space. So you and I talked about it and decided that maybe we can take um, some inconvenience off of the the community and say let's 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 do this really cool little place set aside. So yeah, we got to plus it up. You know, you and I have got to find these things to plus things up for. So we did the world of color, which of course, what were your thoughts? I'm gonna I'm gonna throw this back to you and ask you about the show itself before we talk about the pluses. And that's a whole separate show because <laughs> I was literally I was blown away by world of color. It ex- far exceeded the expectations that I had in my mind of what the show was going to be. I was like, oh, it's going to be like fantastic. It'll be nice and cute and colors and fountains. And I was, I, I laughed. I I put my head on John Tartaglia's shoulder and I think I, <laughs> I wept just a little bit. Um, but I, it was a very powerful, multi-layered, moving, inspirational, insert adjective adverb here kind of show. And I was like, I'm good. I'm done. I, I, was, I was that happy. What did you guys... Did you, now, did you all attend the World of Color party? Yes. Um, what was it that sort of drew you to the event? <laughs> Especially not being... It was, well, for those of you who are Disneyland locals and for those who maybe don't get out here that often. I always loved going to Becky's events because there's always something extra. <laughs> I love you, Lee. I'm never going to hear the end of this. All right, let's move on to somebody else. <laughs> I knew I had to come. You know, I was excited. It was a chance to see you because I was working. I couldn't come to the meet. And um, it was just a way to come and start connecting with people before the Destination D. I had already heard how difficult it was to get into World of Color, and I knew this was the easiest way to do it was to go with Becky. So here we were. I was going to say, I've tried seeing World of Color. This is the first chance I've had to see it, and to have a dedicated spot to watch it was going to be incredible. And I've been to Becky's events also before, always had fun with it. I mean, you have to admit, MEI Mouse Fan Travel has oh, done a great job. God. <laughs> Checks in the mail. Yeah, somebody's looking, somebody's looking for a free ticket to the next event. All right, but I, I do want to... I do want to uh, make sure we have a lot enough time to talk about Destination D, but I do want to touch on the event because the other thing we wanted to do first, because this was about the community, we wanted to give everybody a chance to get together Mm -hmm. and meet each other before Destination D because what we found was that Destination D was going to be a very different animal. Instead of being uh, an area where people could walk and talk and meet, it was a, a very sort of, and I don't mean this in a negative way, almost sort of an academic where you're sitting in 
an auditorium and you're listening to presentations and there's not a lot of interaction. So we want a chance for us to get together beforehand. And again, as MEI and Mouse Fan Travel does, plussing up and, and enhancing the experience with a surprise is always something that we want to do. So the first thing we thought would be like, well, you know, it's cool. What do you say we take everybody after DCA closes, Disney California Adventure closes, we'll take them on Soarin', right? right? So we took them to, they did World of Color. We said, Jeremy, don't leave. Don't leave. There's desserts coming. We brought them over to Soren, and everybody, was that, was that a big surprise to everybody? Absolutely. Having that all to ourselves, basically everyone filled up the entire ride all by ourselves after the park closed. You know, and Soren, as you all know, is, is just amazing, so it was, it was very special. I loved it. <laughs> I was good with it. And then, of course, after Soren, we we marched everybody to the important part, which was the desserts. Right? That was, of course, awesome to have. I wanted cupcakes. The whole I was really excited when I saw the menu. And I saw cupcakes. Okay, these things, chocolate and red velvet. And were they good? Because I didn't get one. That's the point. Were they good? Uh, I never yeah. saw one either. So, okay. I'm with you. so we know we need more cupcakes next time. But after after all that, the hard part was is we wanted to make sure that we had one big wow at the end, and we asked everybody to stand up and follow us for the end of the night, and we marched them down to the world of color, right up against the water. And I, what did you guys think at that point? Because you didn't know, you thought it was going to be dessert and then leave. What if anybody was? What are you thinking when we said? follow us. I really had no idea, but I thought since we were headed that way, I thought maybe she arranged another ride, maybe on California Screaming or or the Mickey Fun Wheel. Who knew? Yeah, I thought the same thing. We were going to go do another ride around Paradise Pier. Had no idea what was about to come. <laughs> I knew what was coming, and even I was surprised, <laughs> because what Becky was able to do, don't ask her how she works her magic, it's just Disney magic, was arrange for us an opportunity to go down right to the side of the water and speak with Imagineers about the genesis, the operation, and have a Q&A about World of Color. But it wasn't, not to say just an Imagineer, but there were three Imagineers, and this was the, the surprise to me, with Steve Davison. Yes, uh, it was a surprise to me. <laughs> I had no idea really what Imagineers we were going to get, and then of course to get the producer as well. I mean, it was it was amazing to see those three people standing there, and I I was speechless when I saw their faces. And I was watching the dynamic of the group almost more than I was watching them to see how people because I know for me it was geek out moment. I was like, oh my god, this is so cool. I was like, is everyone gonna be like, oh yeah, I wanted to ride Soren again, but this is all right. <laughs> what was sort of your guys' reaction when when they came out and had a chance to talk to you and then do some Q and A with them? First thing I did was break out the iPhone and start <laughs> videotaping the entire thing. I like how you think, John. I made sure that I had that thing, a video video camera, going to capture the entire event of what the what everybody was saying. It felt really special because we're a small group, and I was just amazed that. As this small group, we were able to have this caliber of people speaking to us. Yeah, it took it took a few minutes to sink in that the Imagineers were standing there talking to us about making the world of color. It was it was amazing. Yeah, it was incredible because not only did they talk to us about it, but then they showed us little pieces about it and they they explained it. And then they did a Q and A. They were with us for over thirty minutes, which was a little bit longer than we actually had talked to them about doing it. But you could tell on their faces they were just as thrilled to be there as we were because they really you could tell that they were so passionate and they were just really into sharing the thoughts about the show. And like Destination D, 
they're preaching to the choir. These are the people that are hanging on their every word and would have sat there and continued to ask them questions. And look, when they were standing there and getting on the mic and telling them to demo this kind of color or this kind of sequence, and they were very forthcoming, too. I mean, they talked about not just how perfect World of Color is, but the challenges that they face and things that go wrong. So I appreciated that level of candor for that. And look, and then we're also in DCA where they, we turn around and we see the walls coming down and they're working on Little Mermaid. And just to, to be in that environment sort of after dark, like you said, when you kind of feel like you have it all to yourself is really cool. One other thing was I was just amazed with the fact that he was able to have uh, the engineers and everybody else start, okay, I want this type of fan of water going. I want... Let's redo the Pocahontas scene and show you that and how everything works and how far we shoot water up was amazing. And as if on cue, it, it actually brings up another first because I've never seen Wishes in Disneyland. Well, you won't know either because that wasn't Wishes. <laughs> they sang, look, they sang Wishes. So to me... It was Remember the Magic. Well, no, I heard... No, wi- no remember, remember, dreams come true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, remember. See, so I was wrong, and you were wrong. So it doesn't. But they sang wishes. Well, but you're right. It was it was not wishes. It was wishes at the beginning, and wishes at the end. And what I really loved was all the attraction sound clips. It's like you said, Jeremy. They took you on a sort of a virtual tour of the park. Again, a lot of firsts for me in Disneyland, starting with with World of Color. But I want to really get into uh, the events themselves, um, starting with Friday morning registration. Actually began on Thursday, but Friday morning registration opened and the, the events really kicked off at 9 o'clock with a welcome from Stephen Clark. And then they really got in, right into it and everything took place in a single room at the Disneyland Hotel Convention Center. There was about 1,500 people or so uh, with seats on the floor and then two other levels on either side and then large screens up in front. And the first presentation was called We're Disney and was hosted by Becky Klein and Paul Anderson, a noted, uh, incredible Disney historian, Becky Klein, as you probably know, has taken over Dave Smith's role, or is, is in the process of taking over his role as the head archivist of the Walt Disney Archives. This is one of the ones that when I saw on the schedule, I was really excited about because I'm weird and I like Disney, so it was a, a really good fit, and I think a lot of you uh, all felt the same way. Was this one of the things that you guys saw on the schedule and was really excited about? Yeah, I talked to Becky before about that, and she's would hint to what was coming up at some of the other events and that one was just weird that for the fact that things that they were pulling out of the archives and different photos and everything else really focused on things that we did not know about and how the company ran the parks at the beginning of uh, what was going on yeah and they really did bring out some of those things from the archives and again like the tour that's one of the things that I think the people who come to these events are so excited about seeing. I mean, look, like I said, Miley Cyrus and Johnny Depp was great, but this is the stuff that, you know, totally geek out uh, us Disney fans, and, and it was great because you've got the access to things we never would have seen. Paul Anderson not only knows his stuff, but is, is a great personality, and the two of them worked well together, and it wasn't a very dry presentation. It was definitely something that was a lot of fun. Well, Becky and Paul have been friends for years and years. I mean, they go, they go and visit each other. Uh, Paul lives up in Utah, so she'll come up to Utah and visit his family and everything else. He'll come down to the archives, and he'll be working there and visit with Becky and constantly. Yeah. Their chemistry was amazing. Getting the, the two of them together, it was really entertaining to watch. 
Yeah, and his Disney collection is, is worthy of like a mini archives in and of itself too. So uh, he used to actually publish a, a great magazine called Persistence of Vision, which unfortunately isn't around anymore. Uh, and again, there was what I liked too was just was kind of something for everybody. So the next presentation was the anniversary of the Mickey Mouse Club that was hosted uh, by Tim O'Day again, another great Disney historian, great personality, and they brought out a lot of the original. Mouseketeers. So, for people who, Becky, like you, grew up with the Mouseketeers when they were running, when it was a first run. <laughs> wow! Yeah, yeah, like Lisa Winchell. That's that's who I grew up with. It um, it was a lot of fun, and you know, we love seeing uh, these people who, for many of us, whether you saw it as an original or you, or you saw them on reruns, the Mickey Mouse Club. Everybody's had a, a chance to see. What did you guys think of of this presentation? I thought it was fantastic. I mean, I was one of those that grew up watching the Mouseketeers in reruns and thought at the time when I was five and six, those were the original ones, and I was watching the original series, and it was just really fantastic to hear them get together, talk about all their memories, and there's still that camaraderie between the whole group. They even touched on Annette and what she was doing now and how she was doing. It was really kind of special. Yeah, it kind of gives you a sense that you're almost able to sort of touch that, that Disney history by hearing from the people, and it continues on uh, later on in the day as well with one of the presentations that um, I was really excited about. The next one was hosted by Station Martin, again, Paul Anderson and Disney archivist Rob Klein. That was from Corky to Collectible, the wonderful world of Disneyland merchandise. And although I'm not a Disneyland home park guy, I love the old collectibles. And again, almost like Weird Disney, they brought out a lot of those very curious, very interesting things and, and again, opened up the archives to us. Uh, what did you guys think about this presentation? I thought it was fascinating. There was just so many, uh, so much strange merchandise that they showed, and all the all the different history of that, and it was just really neat. Yeah, they did a lot of top fives as far as top five rarest pieces, strangest pieces. Um, you know, fascinating, especially when they get down to the very end and you see things like the very first Disneyland ticket. And I know for people who are collectors. They like to get an idea of maybe, you know, things that they might have in their collection that would sort of fit on this list. I wasn't there. <laughs> <laughs> we see so who sorry. the true fans right, wait, really no, no, are. Wait, I gotta, I gotta explain why. It's because there were a couple of people who have never been to Disneyland before, and I had to show them a little bit about my favorite pieces of the park. So I added a little bit of my own Disney history to a couple of newbies. Nice way to, to back out of, of sitting through the quirky to, to collectible. <laughs> uh, it's a ballroom. It's, it's chairs. It's collectibles. Move on. So there was a, a, <laughs> it was a signing by the Mouseketeers that afternoon and then a break for lunch. Um, and, and both days sort of follow, follow this pattern. There was three in the morning, a few in the afternoon with breaks for lunch and dinner. Uh, another one that you know park enthusiasts were very excited about was Tom Fitzgerald, legendary Disney Imagineer, hosting the making of Star Tours. And with the reimagineering of Star Tours 2.0 coming out, been a biz, big buzz, especially with the attractions closing on both coasts uh, recently. Was this one of the things that you were expecting to see? The history of Star Tours. Were you waiting for the big announcement? Were you waiting for a big announcement or something to be revealed? Because I think that's what a lot of D twenty three fans are coming to expect. That we're coming here, we're expecting a payoff. We want something special just for us. Yeah, I mean, it was great to um, have them go over the history of Star Tours, but the main reason to be there was any more information on Star Tours 2 that they were going to give. And we did get things like we saw some of the new characters that are going to be there. Uh, He made subtle references, but there was no, okay, 
and here's the Steve Jobs one more thing. Were you excited? Were you satisfied? Were you disappointed? I was satisfied. I mean, the stuff that they did go over with the history of Star Tours was really interesting. I mean, the information they gave on Star Tours 2 was already out there, so, I mean, it was good to see again, but was hoping for a little something more. Me too. I'm sorry. (laughs) I was back for this. It doesn't matter. I just want to make the rest of the record straight. I was hoping for a little bit more information, but it was awesome to see the renderings, the artist renderings of, of how um, the pieces came together and how the uh, the characters came together as well. It was kind of fascinating to see. Like the pre-bearded George Lucas, I thought was... Oh my was, gosh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Those were great pictures. There were great pictures to share. And, and the um, one thing that I think people who weren't able to attend and those of us who, you know, I do the show and I've got the site that, I, that I'm, I'm going to cover the event for is that one thing they were very, very strict about was there was not only no videotaping, but there was no audio taping as well. You could take some still photography. Uh, I know Jeremy took like 18,000 still shots, probably better than the ones I took on my iPhone. I've got 1,400 photos from the beginning until halfway through the second day when my battery died. So yeah, we're gonna uh, we're gonna link to Jeremy's photos and we're gonna take up a collection and buy him a second battery as well. Um, but uh, and, and yeah, I mean, but you saw the social media stuff going on because there was a, a dim glow on the floor as you saw all the the tweets and Facebook posts being up, and it was sort of a, a great way to sort of share the information that was coming out, like Ace and some of the other new characters and stuff from from Star Tours. Um, Paul Anderson, workhorse that he is, came back out. For something I really was excited about because I love the, the genesis of the Disney parks and going back to the World's Fair and the development of audio animatronics. Um, Scott, I know this is something that, that you enjoy as well. Absolutely. This is the one I was really looking forward to. I'm a huge fan of all of the attractions that came out of the World's Fair. And they actually um, broke down one of them uh, in in a lot of detail, and that was the Ford Progress Land, which is absolutely my favorite of the four. And so I'm glad that they were able to show a lot of uh, artwork and and the origins of that very particular attraction. So that a lot of stuff I had never seen before. It was amazing. Yeah, and again, they also talked about, you know, the thing that always fascinates me about Walt Disney is is their, his ability and his imaginative ability to sort of overcome a lot of the challenges that they, that they come up against, especially when they're breaking new ground with things like audio animatronics. Uh, Marty Sklar, again, legendary Disney Imagineer, hosted Imagining the Magic of Disney, which is supposed to run from like 4 to 5.45. It ran from like 4 to 7.30 because when you get legends of Imagineering like Bob Gurr, Ex Atencio, Alice Davis, Don Iwerks, and sort of the, the next generation of soon to be legendary Imagineers like Dave Durham, Kathy Mangum, Kevin Rafferty, and Tony Baxter on stage talking about, especially for the first group, their memories of working for and with Walt, uh, the attractions that they, they created, uh, you know, what they love about the theme parks. And it was fun because. You know, some of these guys, especially the older ones that don't work for the company anymore, they get a little... um, Squirrely? Squirrely. Color, yeah. (laughs) Insert, you know, term here. But for me, I I mean, I think, and all of us, we could sit and listen to those guys just talk all day long. I think, too, I mean, you know, watching X, realizing he's in his early 90s, and this may be one of the last times we get to see him, that was something that was was pretty special. I mean, getting to hear him talk about it and hearing Alice Davis talk about her memories with her husband and everything that the family had done for the parks. 
and sneaking into the park. I mean, some of the some of the stories that these people were telling were just amazing and entertaining, and just had us all laughing out loud, which was wonderful to watch. And I got to say, the one thing I was doing more often was watching the current cast members, the current Imagineers, the current name tag people, as they would just their faces would just kind of like I can't say a word when the older folks were just going off, you know, telling these stories, and it was just so entertaining to watch. Well, it's an interesting dynamic because you can see that this camaraderie, camaraderie and the fellowship that they've had for literally decades, always being behind the scenes. And the one thing that Deep 23 has done has sort of brought them to the forefront and almost made them celebrities and bring them, it brings them in front of the people that appreciate their work so much. And I know some of them almost feel accidentally thrust into the limelight. You know, I, I don't think Exitensio realized back then that at 90, he sings two bars from Yo-Ho, the crowd's going to lose their mind. Or Bob Gurr. I mean, what can you say about Bob Gurr? I, the guy is so colorful and so fun to watch, and he's got so many great stories. We, we need to, like, invite him to dinner one night. We really do. Yeah, and, and speaking of dinner, and we've, you know we've had a chance to sit and talk oh, with no. Bob and, <laughs> and during the, uh, the mouse meet. Yep. Uh, one of the highlights for me, and one that I am going to hear grief about for... Listen, people, if you're listening, I was, I was cordially invited uh, by Becky Mankin from MAI and Mouse Fan Travel. After for, begging me for... For weeks. an evening at, at Club 33, the, the very exclusive private club in Disneyland and of course I said yes but again the schedule came out so late I mean very very late almost I I would have liked to have seen it much earlier so you could have planned ahead one of the the things that was disappointing to me is that the the schedule did come out too late to really make good solid plans around it but e-ticket music from the Disney parks ran from 8.30 through 10 and this is the one that I circled because uh as part of this legend celebration this year, celebrating the legends, not just with the Marty Sklar presentation and sort of what they did last year at the Expo, they bring out Richard Sherman, who gets in front of the grand piano and plays a medley and tells the stories behind songs like It's a Small World and The Tiki Room and Great Big Beautiful Tomorrow. And the guy is still so vibrant and so emotive when he plays. I unfortunately had to pass up dinner at Club 33 yeah. and I and I feel listen I got the Italian guilt and I'm continuing to get it from you <laughs> but I, I couldn't miss a, a night with Richard Sherman and you know I don't blame you a bit because obviously if if we could have changed it I would have in a heartbeat because this was one of the ones that I was so excited to see as well but you know when you got some people who get you into Club 33 you don't say no or don't ask them to change it so unfortunately I had to give up on Richard Sherman but I gotta tell you when I saw the name Richard Sherman on there I knew you were gonna bail (laughs) I did bail I I did I had to bail uh, because but you also kind of yelled at me and, and, and kind of poked me about the fact that they called up all of the birthday people on stage. So I missed out on that as well. Yes, because our <laughs> Night of World of Color was, uh, was your <clears throat> birthday you could have gone well. up there for me. You could have gone up there and said, hey, you know, I turned down my friend. She's at Club 33, but I'm going to get whatever, you know, whatever. Uh-huh. I did sing get. to you. But, yes. but in addition to Richard Sherman... Um, Part of, of the presentation tonight was a really a full blown concert, uh, including people like John Tartaglia, 
um, Taryn Brooks, Anna Ortiz, Wilson Cruz, Tracy Toms, Michael Yuri, the Mellow D23 Choir, of which Becky Klein and some of the other uh, archive people are a member. And I will tell you that for me, this was worth the price of admission. Oh, definitely. Everybody was looking forward to the concert itself. Uh, Richard came out first and just wowed everybody. And then each other person came out and sang their favorite uh, Disney attraction song. And you, at times, they'd follow it right on, or sometimes they'd just go with their own almost version of it, and it was just incredible to listen to. I mean, who would have known Jeffrey at D23 could sing <laughs> like that? I mean, it was amazingly good. And guys like John Tartaglia, who was first to sort of emcee the event to a certain degree, I love because the guy is a Disney fan first. Um, I met him for the first time at the D23 Expo last year. He came up to the booth, and he's like, hey, I've got your books. And I'm like, you're the Johnny and the Sprites guy. I did, like, the little jazz hands, and I got all excited. And I'm like, my kids and me, I was like, we love you. I didn't even know about, like, Avenue Q. I'm like, you're Johnny and the Sprites. And I actually saw him the morning of World of Color, I was like, dude, it's Johnny and the Sprites. He's like, hey, it's Lou Mangiello. I'm like, oh, my God, Johnny knows my name. So, like, he came to the World of Color party, and he just, he loved it as much as we did as fans. So when he came out on stage, he told such personal stories about his love of the parks. I mean, look, the guy was wandering Disneyland by himself during the day, riding rides, because that's what he loved. And so I think he, so most, more so than anybody else there, really brought a true love and passion to his performance. Oh, I thought he did a fantastic job. I mean, I'm like you. I know Johnny from Johnny and the Sprites having a five-year-old. So it was kind of special to see him in a totally new light from just singing with a bunch of puppets. Which, by the way, he did bring his own puppets that he made 30 minutes before the presentation, which was kind of cool. Yeah, these these Lemme puppets. And he sang, I mean, he sang his own version of Grim Grinning Go. I mean, it was awesome. Yeah, absolutely, it was hilarious. But I also got to say, Michael Yuri of, uh, of from Ugly Betty, he he was hilarious too. He came out and sang all kinds of songs, and and he was he was very funny. And they got the crowd involved, <laughs> and they got the people involved. And I think again too, uh, even after a long day, and I, I want to kind of segue to that, uh, people would have sat there all night. And the concert for me was a, a really. That it really wrapped up what I thought was a great day of presentations. One thing, though, you want to, you're going to want to mention, though, is the fact that, yeah, they pulled people up there for their birthdays, but they did not sing Happy Birthday. <laughs> they were singing Happy Unbirthday to everybody else. In the, and he's, like, making sure that when he gets to that point, he's turned around and he's pointing at the crowd and pointing at everybody else except for those three people. <laughs> but it was great because it had everybody engaged and they were, I mean, look, they were, you know, tearing up with Richard Sherman and they were laughing with this and some of the Look, you know, Jeffrey Epstein got up there, and I'm like, oh, man, they really must have, somebody must have canceled out. And the guy belts out this number, and you're like, holy smokes, where'd that come from? That's right. He sang a duet uh, of A Whole New World, which is absolutely beautiful. So the Disney geek, you know, listen, he's got many talents. But before I move on to day two, I want to ask you about um, the first day and sort of the the flow of the day. the one thing that I thought was was different and better as opposed to last year's D23 was that there was no overlap. There was no running around. You weren't getting online for an hour and a half to potentially get shut out of the Imagineering or the Legends presentation. However, you were in one room all day from 9 a.m. to 10 p.m. with breaks, and, and you had to change seats. Every time the sessions broke, you did have to go back in and find new seats, but it was done in a very well-organized manner. What did you guys think about 
the flow of the day. Well, yeah, that was actually uh, very key. I, one of the great things about this is that un- unlike the D23 Expo, you fe- everyone felt like it was fair and that you got to see everything that they were offering. And so, you know, I really very much enjoyed that, that aspect of it. Did you feel like you were sitting in a classroom or a seminar for for too long? Well, it, it was a very long days, but it was, you know, the the best material you could ask for, so you wanted it to last long and Well, it, it was. It was fantastic material. They were trying to present a lot of things all at once and I I totally understand that, but it it got to be a little monotonous just continuing to sit there and watch slides, so I would have liked to have a little bit of interaction. Um, getting up and waiting in line an hour and a half to two hours before the next session was also not a lot of fun because you ended up losing your whole day anyway. But other than that, I thought it went pretty well the first day. Yeah, I mean, I think that the content certainly was engaging, but it sometimes is a lot to ask people to sit for three hours. And, and I was, again, watching the dynamic of the crowd. And sometimes by that third presentation, there were yawns, people were walking. Paul Anderson called out somebody who was walking out of his presentation, you know, in a very funny way. But it was a lot. And and the thing that I felt, and some of us talked about it at the end of day one, was there was something. I think they pulled out what they felt was the most compelling and maybe the best of the expo from last year, which were the presentations that people really wanted to see, the things that were the people and the stories and the content. I mean, look, they could have sat there and shown slides from the archives all day and people would have sat and watched but I think the thing that was missing, and it was sort of as an overall experience of, of this, these, these past few days, was the social aspect of it. Because many of us who knew each other from communities or the shows or friends, whatever it was, the sessions would break and we would go to downtown Disney or go to Disneyland and have lunch. But for many people, especially some that were there by themselves, there was no opportunity other than the time that you were in line to sort of engage and get to meet some of the other attendees. And I think that was the one thing that I felt was missing from this part of the expo. I I totally agree. And for me, it did feel a lot like I was sitting in a classroom and watching slides and listening to an an Uber presenter at college or something. But it was... um, Obviously, the, the content was amazing, but I would have liked to have seen it maybe go into another day and maybe have some some social piece in there. Because like you said, you line up an hour and a half before the doors even open and you're sitting until lunch and then you get up and you go and you sit again and you leave. It would have been nice to have some sort of social interaction, some sort of even break in the day that allowed you to go to the parks or to do something besides sit in the chair. What what kind of thing would you say? Maybe we could say this at the end, but I'm, but start thinking about something that maybe you would suggest that they would do for next year. You know, I thought about it, said, well, what if we did something in Disneyland? What if we got people out into downtown Disney or into the parks or had one of these presentations somewhere or break up, you know, something in in a tiki room or a mansion or something like that where you're getting people out into the parks? And I know not everybody has a Disneyland pass, but again, something else that they can do outside. Um, the presentation rooms and again I think the content was compelling enough to keep people there and keep people engaged but again it was a long time of, of sitting right I think that there there's got to be an answer there's got to be some sort of happy medium uh, again going back to the expo itself it's apples and oranges you really can't compare the two but I did miss that element of, of being able to walk around and, and meet new people and see what what um, elements of the community they're involved with and what they have to bring to the table that was a piece I was missing yeah, and again, this was certainly designed not to be a mini expo with something very different. Um, and I think, I think it's also 
I think the flow still went very well. I mean, there was no sort of craziness as far as the lines and people getting seats, and again, nobody got shut out of anything. True, but all, all that being said, though, I, I it's amazing how many people I have met this week, and you know, through all the breaks that we've had, and you know, even during the day today during the scavenger hunt, I have been around a, a lot of friends and and made new ones too. So that's that's actually been a lot of a lot of fun too. Yeah, and it certainly is. I think part of the goal of D twenty three is to bring individuals and and online communities together and a chance to meet each other. And you're right. I mean, we've had a great time doing that, although it wasn't necessarily facilitated sure. by exactly. the events that were going on. Uh, the next day, again, the the schedule is again packed from starting at 9 a.m., starting with, again, Disneyland through the eyes of television. And certainly we know the importance of television bringing Disneyland to life and sort of a, a vice versa. Again, this was hosted by Disney archivist Rob Klein. Gave a great look at the history of Disneyland. It showed not just slides, but there was a lot of videos for things like Disneyland in the 60s and 70s, which the pop culture aspect of it was interesting in and of itself. But you saw introduction of new attractions and new parades, the new Tomorrowland. What did you guys think of this presentation, especially those of you who call Disneyland home? Yeah, I, I very much enjoyed this one. I, it included a lot of the footage, you know, of the old uh, Disneyland TV programs that I absolutely love, and including a whole bunch that are n- not available on uh, on DVD, and, and a lot of new commercials, and or I'm sorry, old commercials that were uh, hilarious and fun. So. That was what was so fun about watching those is that there were memories from, you know, when, when we were in the 80s. You would see these. The way people, did we really dress that way? This is what I really want to know. I still dress that way. <laughs> but uh, to see the old commercials and, oh, my gosh, the old specials. Remember the specials that they were showing with Sandy Duncan and, and Ruth Buzzy running through the Haunted Mansion? And it really did bring back a little bit of of um, a different side that I totally forgot existed. So it, it was it was fun to watch. And I think that, you, that we're seeing that a lot of these things <clears throat> excuse me, are driven by a sense of nostalgia. Mm-hmm. Whether your nostalgia goes back to 55 with the opening of Disneyland or the Mickey Mouse Club or whatever it was, the things that were, that were most of interest to people were the things that, had, that, touched their, that touched them personally depending on what their connection was to it. But I think the one that uh, may have been the one that people discuss the most and I think they can have the day of Disney Undiscovered by Dave Fisher was where they took out the old concept art for those unrealized and unbuilt attractions from Imagineering and those slideshows I mean there were more iPhones and droids and cameras clicking away as those came up than probably any other presentation and to find out that 96% of all the ideas that they do are their blue sky are just thrown in the vault now to maybe one day pull out. And it was kind of interesting to find out how many of those they really do have that they have pulled out now that they've put in, in, put in and implemented into the rides that they're building today. That was really kind of cool. Yeah, that was that was great because he mentioned that uh, people keep asking, oh, if you're not going to build these, show us what you could have done, what what you might have done. He's like, we don't do that because these ideas that we looked at 20, 30 years ago, we're now taking little bits of it and putting into what now exists. All right. Actually, I'm, I'm actually waiting for the Black Cauldron water ride. I'm, I'm waiting for that to be built. 
It's as be. soon as Rock Candy Mountain is done, they're going to move right on to Black Mountain. Well, personally, i got to say that this is one of the uh, pieces of the presentation that actually made Destination D for me because it, it lifted the veil a little bit of information from Imagineering that we really don't get. And to be able to see these things in front of us and have the Imagineers talking directly with us without taking off their name tag first <laughs> to, to kind of lift, again, the veil or, or pull back the curtain a little bit to things and ideas that they've come up with, I think it was fantastic. And you really get a sense that it wasn't just, I mean, this was not a very quickly thrown together uh, series of presentations because these guys, they worked to go through the archives. They really, I, I got the sense that they wanted to deliver because they, there was no way that they could have sort of just repurposed what they had published in books and magazines before. They needed to deliver. They needed to give us a bit of a wow factor. And you saw and heard those gasps of breath as some of these things, and it was the oohs and the ahs and the in addition to the please bring back the people mover screams from the audience, the ones like, oh, you know, what's the possibility of getting this attraction? And also celebrated the people who came up with it because they brought it back to some of the names from Imagineers, which I like. It's because the Imagineers, especially now because of D23, are no longer faceless names. We know who the Bob's Girls are. We know who the, the Alice Davises are, so, or even the next generation, like the Tony Baxters. And to connect it to those people individually, I think makes it more personal. Right. <laughs> uh, Dave Smith, again, the chief archivist who is retiring this year, uh, brought out Disneyland the way we were as the final presentation of the morning. <laughs> Sorry, I'm hitting Becky as we're talking. Um, Why are you hitting me? And um, this was one of the ones that was of interest to me because I have no history at Disneyland. You know, uh, other than a brief visit back in 2005, that's a separate Olga story for another day. <laughs> My first real visit was in 2008, um, but I quickly fell in love, and certainly this trip um, solidified my uh, my renewed love for Disneyland. Um, and I invite you to go back to show 53, why every Walt Disney World fan needs to visit Disneyland. Mm-hmm. But for a lot of people, this was Dave Smith trying to rekindle those memories of the Mickey Mouse Club Circus and the Chicken of the Sea Pirate Ship, the Frito Kid, America Sings. And again, there were a lot of those people going, oh, yeah, I remember that. I remember seeing that. Or this was right before my time. And I know, Scott, this is one of the ones that you really like. Right. And not only that, he had uh, color photography of the construction of Disneyland, which you never see. I mean, you've seen it in black and white some, but there were so many photos of the construction and then certainly the early years of Disneyland. It was just absolutely beautiful. And so, and so This one was killing off the battery on my camera. I have a picture of every one of those slides. <laughs> and again, too, in this one and many of the other ones, the things that people really enjoyed were those never-before-seen right. photographs of Walt. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, this is Walt's right. park, That what makes it so very special. And I get it now, having been here so many times, when you see the picture of Walt you know, walking down Main Street and, and giving autographs to kids and here during the construction, I mean, it really brings home such a sense of that true sort of magic that he brought to it. <laughs> well, what I was going to say is is the slides that came up. And, I, and tonight, as we were walking around the park, I was trying to place where some of those were, you know, because things have changed in this park since the time that those were taken, and, and a lot has, has been added and subtracted and taken away. So as you're looking at it from the perspective of some of those photos, you kind of look and go, wow, that's where that was. Or um, now I remember from a kid, I looked at Scott and said, wow, I remember those the spinning rock, and, and where was that? And I totally had forgotten about it until I saw those pictures. It was, it was really cool to relive that. 
Yeah, and the afternoon, the final sessions of the of the afternoon and evening was uh, hosted by Tim O'Day. The first one was Disneyland, the happiest place in pop culture, where he talked about, you know, how pop culture has affected Disneyland as Disneyland has affected uh, pop culture. Again, T- Tim O'Day is one of the, the finest Disney authorities out there. And again, brought back, you know, to taking it down memory lane and bringing back the bad clothes and the bad hair, of which there will be pictures of me never... To, there, you have a better chance of seeing stuff in the archives than the pictures of me at Disney World in, in the 70s and 80s. Uh, and I want to ask you guys about the next presentation because this is another one that I heard a lot of discussion about. Uh, it was a word from the president. It was hosted by Garth Kemp, who from what I understand is a local TV reporter or a local TV weatherman. And he brought out and uh, had a conversation with Disney President George Calagridis um, talking about his history and experience and views on the park. There was also a Q&A session. Uh, I wasn't able to sit through the entire part of this. I want to know what your guys' feeling was on this, and there's a, there's a reason why I'm asking specifically about this one. I can The way it went, it was a good QA session, but I can guarantee that thing was not scripted. Because uh, of the questions that were being asked, uh, you, could, you could tell that George was just like kind of like stumbling at times trying to get a, the right answer out for it. Because there are certain things that obviously he can't share with us yet. Because there are things that they are working on. So overall, it was a good QA session. However, you could you could tell that there was more that he would want to give us, but just could not do. Right. And I, I did think this was a good session in that uh, it showed us that George Calagrese is one of the the really good presidents of Disneyland. He's he's very passionate about it, and he's out in the parks quite a bit. And um, but also on the other hand, I, I this is where I was expecting some announcements of the park, and 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 there were some, not not the not the one I was hoping for, but. So what, what, what were you, what were you expecting? And what I mean, certainly, all right. Let's let's throw the people mover. People mover is not coming back tomorrow. Neither is the Skyway. Neither. But what were you expecting to hear? Well, to be honest, the people mover coming back is what I was really hoping for, and I, I had heard a few things. But uh, and he did t- uh, touch up on it, and but he didn't say that it was not coming back. He just said right, it couldn't come back in its current form. So there's, there's hope for that. Well, he took the time to explain why the people mover couldn't come back. And that, you know, that acknowledges at least that, yes, I hear what you're saying. I know that's what you want. And here's why I can't bring it back, which was kind of nice to, you know, be told by Disney. We do care what you're saying, which is so different sometimes from what we normally get. Right. He he acknowledges the passion and, and you're right, taking the time to not just say it's not coming back, but stay tuned. It was nice to hear it from his mouth rather than read it on the Internet and, and hear all the different stories as to why or if it's coming back. It was nice to get some solid information from the Disney brass. There were other aspects of the presentation. Um, inc- tell us a little bit about the Tron portion and the Mickey portion. Okay. Um, they did their... You can't start off by going, okay. <laughs> well, uh what was going on is they did their t- uh, top five questions, and when they got down to the, the number one question, uh, we had a, we had one of the cast members come out and interrupt them so that they could introduce the new what I can't the remember electronica, the electronica show. The, the well, they did electronica, but they also had them come oh. out and do the new uh, what Disney rocks or. Dance Crew, yes. Dance Crew came out and did a presentation of the new show that they're going to be doing in Disney California Adventure. So we had a showing of that, and then 
the mm-hmm. it was sort of a, a Mickey came out and it was sort of like a a disco Mickey for the for the twenty tens uh, kind of presentation, and there was also they talked about electronica. They had a sort of this interpretive Tron dance, and they showed a Tron trailer. And again, I think there was that sense of the delivery. Okay, here's what you haven't seen before. Um, almost a sense of uh, you know you owe it to us to show us something new. Is that how you felt when you saw? That it was the same trailer, or were you expecting something more when they when they started all the Tron stuff? I was actually hoping that we could see something that they did at Comic Con because this trailer that we saw has been out for a couple of months already. So seeing that's like, yeah, I love I love the trailer. It's a great trailer, but I I wanted to see some like at the expo. Hey, we're going to show you uh, at that time Rapunzel. Here's 3D glasses. We want you to watch this in 3D. I was hoping for something like that for uh, what they had done for Comic Con. Yeah, I mean, do you get a sense that that's sort of what people are looking... The D23 fans are looking for when they come to these events is uh, something that they haven't... That, an expectation that you're going to get something that you haven't seen before because you're a D23 member, or is that should that be maybe a, a false expectation that people shouldn't come in with? I think that's an appropriate level of expectation. I, I, I think we should come into it. If we're the Uber fans. We're the one... I mean, if they're showing that stuff at Comic-Con... At least they can bring us a little nugget of information. Even, it doesn't have to be major. Just give us a little something, a little something new, a little something special to reward the loyalty back to the company. That's just the expectation I have. And the final two presentations of the evening, and actually the Destination D, was the wonderful world of vintage Disneyland in color. Um, here, Ed Holman and Imagineer Tony Baxter, again, brought some of that rare footage of Disneyland from the 50s and 60s which they narrated, um, and I think that was nice to hear them sort of give their thoughts and their feelings as, uh, as to what they were showing. And then the final aspect was, again, a Disneyland USA screening and panel hosted by Tim O'Day included uh, not just people like Tony Baxter and Ed Holman, but Dave Smith and Jack Lindquist. Um, and and how did you guys feel about that presentation and that presentation sort of being the capper of the Destination D event. Well, I got to say the yeah the wonderful world of vintage Disneyland in color with with Tony Baxter and Ed Ed Hoberman that was fantastic. Apparently, they had found hundreds and hundreds of hours of footage, uh, like in the vault of you know of old Disneyland that had never seen the light of day, and they were showing that. And it was some of the things in there were absolutely amazing, um, even like the tryouts for the mermaids. <laughs> <laughs> And how you know all the guys wanted to uh, to judge that competition. That was that was fun. Yeah, they said they had 200 hours of um, film there, and they had only restored 100 hours of it so far. So they don't even know what's coming up yet, and they're going to keep on restoring it to get everything out there for us to be able to see. And did you feel like that was a bit of a payoff, saying, "Hey, here's for the first time, you guys are seeing something that nobody else has seen before," and oh, by the way, more is coming, and probably not just we're going to release it on things like. Destination D events, but you might see it on things like DVD. That'd be great. That's something that definitely the D23 members, the Uber Disney geeks definitely are going to be like, when can we get our hands on that? When can we have it in our homes and be able to watch it anytime we want? I think, though, the highlight of the night was watching the very last taping that Walt Disney ever did that was supposed to be shown the night before the premiere of Follow Me Boys. I mean, not knowing that history or anything, and then realizing that he had taped this, talking about wishing he could be there with everybody, and realizing that he had just passed away, 
I mean, everybody, there wasn't a dry eye in the whole place, knowing that. And then showing that, that footage, showing the part of the Follow Me Boys and, and the, the music from that and how, if you really thought about it, how it really tied into Walt Disney and everything that he represents to so many of us, it, it really was probably the special part of the night. And it was one of those highlights that we were looking for. So you think it was an appropriate way to cap off the two-day presentation? Absolutely, because they admitted this was the first time it had ever been shown to a a public audience, which really made it sort of special to us. I wasn't there. (laughs) (laughs) You sure just said it was fabulous and moved on. Um, Call me, I have photos. (laughs) I I have a couple of questions about some of the things that you said. One aspect I want to touch on, um, which we haven't as yet, were sort of the other things that were going on or not going on, in, in conjunction with the events in the presentation. So, uh, you know, to use the Spaceballs reference, merchandise. Um, there was some Destination D merchandise that was available. There also was another room that had some jewelry and some artwork. What did you guys think about the merchandise that was available? Did you want more? Did you want less? Were you, were you, was Again, what was the level of expectation? They had some things there that I was, I'm was. i glad they had. Um, I'll use the example of the Epcot patches that they send out with the magazines. Everybody has a chance of having one, unless you have get yourself nine subscriptions and you just luck out getting one of each. So they were actually selling those for $45 for the full set. I bought two, one for myself and one for whatever I decided to do with it later on because, I mean... I, I've seen what they've gone for before, and it was just like, oh, my gosh. So it was just wonderful that the other items they had, they were great. They showed previews of other items they're going to have in the future, the new six-pin um, uh, holiday set that they're going to be releasing, and then the, the Christmas pin set that they're going to have. They're giving people a chance to see what's going to be coming up because people are after different items like this. As for the jewelry and things like that, I don't wear them, so uh, someone else on that one. <laughs> Yeah, I actually, I got myself a shirt, a Destination D shirt. And then also, uh, there was some neat merchandise by uh, Jody Daly and Kevin Kidney that was that was phenomenal. And so that was... Like what? They had some like, ice cream dishes, some soda uh, glasses, and some shirts. So did you feel that there was an appropriate level of merchandise? Do you think there was too much, too little? Because it wasn't sort of that thrown-in-your-face kind of thing. It was off in a row. I think a lot of people actually missed a lot of the merchandise that was there. Well, they gave us the opportunity to pre-order the items well beforehand uh, and say, here's what we have. If you're an annual pass holder, let us know. We'll even give you the discount on it. And if you wanted to have it shipped home, let us know. We'll take care of that for you also. So the merchandise, to be honest, wasn't even near the ballroom necessarily. You had to walk down the hallway, through some more doors, down a longer hallway before you started seeing the items. So that, in ways, that was nice. Uh, they weren't trying to like get you right at the front door saying bye bye bye. But if you are interested, if you go down this path, you'll find items. And it wasn't like you know one of the complaints about the expo last year was I had to wait online an hour and a half to go shopping in the D twenty three store. Uh, this was merchandise was specific to the event, specific to D twenty three, and again some of the other special jewelry that I know Scott had picked up. Absolutely. But Jeremy, you mentioned something, and I think a couple of you said it a couple times talking about things like uber geeks and hardcore fans and the nostalgics do you think that events like this and or d23 in general do you think that we're the only ones that get a lot out of these things or do you think d23 really is there's something for everybody sort of every level of disney fan 
I think there is something for every level, for, especially those who are interested in the history. Um, anyone who has a, a connection to the parks and its history or Walt and, and his business sense or in the art of animation or there's something here that's going to touch interests, a lot of different interests. Um, this event, I think, was more geared towards the mm-hmm. Uber geek, but that doesn't mean all the D23 events can't be shared or enjoyed by, you know, casual fans or, you know... Right, and whereas the expo had all aspects of the company that was, you know, that was followed by all ages, you know, from young kids to all of us uber geeks, that this was more of to- geared towards the the history fans of Disneyland. Do you like the way they have this broken up? And, and I will talk about some announcement about things that are coming in the future. Which sort of the the expo every other year, and then a destination D filling in. Not I don't want to call it a gap in between, but sort of alternating the expo and destination D? I think though that they've changed that because part of the announcement that they made was we were going to do expo every other year and we we're going to do destination D and then with the announcement they made that's not the case. Now we're going to be doing expo the same year that we're doing a destination D which I'm not so sure that they've decided that's really what they want to do after all. Right, what they did in the one of the announcements that they did make, one of the information that they did reveal for the first time that nobody knew was coming was that there will be a Destination D Walt Disney World, and there's going to be in an as-yet-unannounced day in the spring of 2011. And they're also going to bring elements of things like Weird Disney and a lot of the Disney World history, again, keeping in mind that 2011 is Walt Disney World's 40th anniversary, much like this was celebrating Disneyland's 55, so maybe that was the logic behind it. They feel a need to acknowledge and celebrate Walt Disney World's uh, anniversary. So... I like it in that regard. I like the fact because people would complain, well, hey, Disneyland got something. This is 40. It's a big anniversary. We should do something, too. And, again, there's many of us who Walt Disney World history, man, they start bringing out concept art. I'll sit there for a week. Yeah, that was the thing. I actually asked Stephen about that um, last night. Well, that was just last night. Uh, last <laughs> night. And these are really long days, by the way. <laughs> these, Yeah, they were quite long days. But, no. Uh, I asked Stephen, I go, I thought you were going to do alternation between the Expo and Destination D and do that back and forth. Why are you doing one at Disney World next year? And he's like, well, to be honest, no one's doing anything for celebrating the 40th anniversary of the, of the Magic Kingdom out there, Walt Disney World. And so we wanted to do something ourselves for it, to bring this out there. He goes, because the presentations they're working on here in Disneyland, they've also done more presentations also for Walt Disney World, and they want to be able to share those. And I think that's what D23 brings, is that it is driven by people in the company who are fans first. Jeffrey Epstein, he was a book author. You know, uh, Stephen Clark, who's the head of D23, was a submarine voyage skipper. And these guys understand what we, as fans of every level, want to see and want to experience. Right. And another thing about this Destination D that's happening in the spring of 2011 is that not a lot of the larger events like this have been at Disney World. You know, Disneyland has gotten the expo, this Destination D, and they have a lot of the events at the studios. So that's going to be very special for all the people out in Florida and on the East Coast. Right, because I know when they had the one-year anniversary event in Walt Disney World, it was nice, and Stephen Clark and Becky were there, and then the de- the anniversary in Disneyland had a lot of Imagineers, a lot, and people in Walt Disney were like, "Well, hey, we're you know we want to see these guys too," and I think they listen to that. I think they pay attention to what is they. I know they pay attention to what is being said and talked about online, and I think this is their way of saying, "Okay, we're going to bring these guys out 
so that people who can't get out to the West Coast who are Walt Disney World fans can appreciate that as well. So, but is this setting a precedent that we're going to see an expo and a destination D every year? Do we? Uh, it's kind of interesting that there's going to be so much focus. I don't know, considering they each have, there's one under their belts for each. I don't think any of these things are setting a precedent. I think certainly, much like D23 Expo, they were learning on the fly. They're seeing what works, what doesn't work, and they're seeing what we... They're going to pay very close attention, I think, to what we as fans are responding to. And that's why I was curious over the past couple of days, I was talking to as many people as I could, and I wanted to talk about this in the roundtable format to get your opinions, because I think they want to hear that as well. So tell me, what do you think, um, and I'll kind of ask each of you individually, what do you think was the highlight or the best part or the most exciting or surprising part of Destination D for you? Okay. <laughs> Probably that they sold bras on Main Street. <laughs> Not They weren't selling bras now. They, they weren't Destination D bras on Main Street. Please clarify. Well, there was part of the presentation. I'm not sure which, which session it was in, but it was kind of amazing because I did learn something. I learned something today, Lou. Um, I, I, it was amazing to see that when uh, Disneyland first opened, how many corporate sponsors actually had storefronts on Main Street. I did not realize that there were so many, and not just, you know, uh, this building brought to you by. They were actually doing business out of some of these buildings, and it was an amazing thing to me. So one of them was, um, what was the name of it? Now I can't remember what it is, what it was. There was a lady's undergarment. Is that what you just <laughs> I'm trying to remember the name, because the name was actually really cute. Like the, the Wizard of Bras. Thank you. Wizard of Bras. Needless to say, Granny's secrets were well hidden. Why, she'd turn green with envy if she could see the lift today's girl gets from our low-cut Viet. It's designed for wear under a casual sweater or deep-throated shirt. Then for a change of mood, there's the new and intoxicating pink champagne that lends its own sweet shape to you. You see, modern girls have so many fashions to choose from, it takes a wizard to keep them in shape. That's why Hollywood Maxwell designs a bra for every fashion. To see them all, just ask at your favorite store for Hollywood Maxwell, the Wizard of Bras. And so, of course, that was the thing that just made me go, wow, all right, there's so much more of Disney that I had no idea about. So I, I think that just some of those little discoveries of those little hidden gems that I didn't know about was, was a great highlight. And I think that connects a lot of what we see today, because people say, Walt would have hated this. Walt would, and we're like, no, this is some of the things that Walt was doing. So it was able to bring some of those connections home for people. Um, well, since this was my first trip to Disneyland, I didn't do that many of the events. I pretty much played in the park a lot more than that um but the highlight was pretty much um since your man crush on richard sherman um <laughs> happened becky was uh, gracious enough to bring me to club 33 for dinner on my first trip out to disneyland so thank you and that's you're welcome i did that for you thank you so that's pretty much you know the highlight i would say the highlight is um seeing the community come together um, especially people that I would see normally at Disney World coming to my home here and spending time with them. And I just love the Disney community and the people are um, so friendly and that's the part I enjoy the most. And do you attribute that to the fact that there's just an event here or is it what D23 is putting together that you think brings together a lot of 
diverse Disney communities and Disney enthusiasts? I think the D23 draws those people, um, the people that really love Disney, and um, those are my people. And um, <laughs> You're like Moses. You're like the Moses of the community. <laughs> um, and that's what I enjoy, the community. I give you these 15, oy, 10, 10 <laughs> commandments. You know, I think my, my highlight was the part we haven't touched on yet, which was the scavenger hunt. I mean, that I'm sorry, that was just the most fun. It was something that everybody could compete in. It didn't matter if you had lived in the parks for years or if you were a newbie. Everybody could compete on the same level and just was a fantastic time. Oh, yeah, we're definitely going to have to talk about the scavenger hunt. No, highlights for me, um, there's actually a couple. One was being able to uh, come across a lot of friends I've made in the D23 community, people I've met at other events. We'd literally, because it was so busy, you can't talk to each other between panels. It's once one panel was over, the next one was starting, literally with the next second. So right at the breaks for food and everything, you see people like hunting each other out and grabbing other people. And our group, it was it was kind of funny because when the panel, before things would start, we started out looking for six seats and then eight seats, then ten seats. Then <laughs> at that point, it's like okay. We're going to wind up with, like, two full rows if we keep trying to do this. So we kind of scatter out a little bit. Another one of the major highlights, and Becky's going to get a big smile on her face for this, was definitely, honestly, the World of Color event we had Thursday night. The ability, I mean, because we saw Imagineers, and it was great, and they had everything planned out, and we knew what was coming up. But to have them come out and and show us all the details about World of Color and to demonstrate how everything works, honestly, was the best part of the week weekend yes becky was truly the star of of this d23 week but uh, but, <laughs> but uh, of the events that were presented by d23 i would say my single favorite was every presentation on the history of disneyland but i probably the my favorite was the world's fair one with the uh thing on the forge progress land and also the scavenger hunt and also just the camaraderie of you know being with all of these friends and meeting new new friends, it was fabulous. I'm going to touch on the world of color thing. Yeah, but I, and I and I and I do want to talk about and I specifically want to say the scavenger hunt and the other announcement that was made uh, about something else that was coming next year as well separately. I'm going to help you out, Lou. I really appreciated you being friends with Johnny, so I could <laughs> see Johnny from Drotty of the Sprites. That was a highlight. Texting my daughter and saying, "Look who I'm at a party with. I'm with Johnny." Yeah, what I did want to save um, as sort of a separate part, because it really was an add-on to the to the Destination D event. Uh, it was an optional thing. was a scavenger hunt that was held on Sunday from 9 in the morning till about 2 in the afternoon. Uh, and not, well, it almost seemed like everybody did it because there was 575 teams uh, ranging from individuals to teams of four that did an all-day scavenger hunt through Disneyland, Disney's California Adventure, downtown disney and some of the resort hotels as well uh, and this i think for a lot of us was one of the things that was like oh yeah this is something that we have got to do absolutely i've i've personally done goofy's mystery tour and minnie's moonlit madness uh, as a cast member uh, for for these events so this kind of thing is scavenger hunts you know puzzle solving riding rides and looking for clues throughout the parks this is right up my alley and, and I think we made a great team, you and I. Absolutely. We, we <laughs> went around, and I think we did pretty good. My dogs are barking, man. My dogs are barking, but, but we had a really good time. And, and you obviously you know, brought up, what, what it, when you guys saw this about the scavenger hunt, what was your first thought? I got to do it, flat out. Um, I got hints from it before, about two or three weeks ahead, and I just sat there going, 
I I want to do this. This is going to be incredible. And then when we started out today, I was overwhelmed. It's not that you want to do it and win it. You just wanted to do it and just have fun at the event. Oh, I wanted to win. I wanted to win. <laughs> All right, some people wanted to win. But the, the cool thing about this, and I was, look, I was intimidated because this is not my home park. I Look, I'm like a tourist here. I'm like, I'm looking at maps. I'm like, the Haunted Mansion's in the wrong spot. Why is it? But there was... They did it in, in, I think, a very, very smart way because although there was an overwhelming number of questions, 300-plus, there were questions that ranged in difficulty, so you didn't have to feel feel frustrated. There were one, five, and ten-point questions, uh, and I got to say, I think that this was really put together and organized. I mean, these guys did some serious preparation and homework for this, and it really went off, I, I thought, without a hitch. Oh, definitely. They they had uh, experience. They've done it. They've done things like this themselves uh, with uh, inside uh, Disney scavenger hunts, the items like that. But for them to be able to pull this off, literally, in my opinion, in many ways, without a hitch, they had helpers throughout the parks, not necessarily to answer questions for you, but to help keep things moving, help keep you going, was a great help. Yeah, and it was a very friendly kind of thing. I mean, certainly it was competitive, but you saw teams, you know. Looking at each other, it was like 106 degrees today in Disneyland, which, from what I understand, is not normal here. Uh, it's normal for Florida, but abnormal for here. Um, and it really, for me, was a great way to, to cap off uh, a great weekend. Yeah, and especially for the amount of teams that were competing, it was very well organized. Yeah, to manage and grade and organize 575 teams, I mean, I don't know what the math is, but I think almost everybody who did Destination D... And, and some people who didn't do Destination ED came out today just to do the scavenger hunt. Exactly. And and what he, what Doug was saying is correct. Uh, 575 teams, but it was over so much area. It was through out both parks, through all three hotels, and all of downtown Disney. So everyone was spread out. Uh, it was just absolutely overwhelming. There were 330 questions that ranged uh, fr- the gamut you know it ran the gamut um it was a lot of observational things you know just go out and spot these things and a lot of uh, puzzle solving too where you had to go to a bunch of different attractions and things to to solve a single question it was a lot of fun. right so you didn't have to be a disneyland expert and know all the history you had to be able to solve puzzles and you know make up a plan and get a strategy together to put it and those were some of the things that let the the, the team that won really come in first well the other thing though is i mean when we saw, we were allowed to open up the answer book because there's no information, and people would open up the last page and see that final number of 300 plus questions, and then we're like, we've only got five hours, and it's that's when it was like, oh my gosh, what do I actually do? And so that's it really gave everybody just like this. Okay, I got it. I got to figure this thing out. Got to go. Got to go. But what was nice is they gave us the ability to open up the question book about 25 minutes before the actual start so you can start planning out what you want to do. Because that was one thing Jeffrey said before is you're going to want to take time and look at it before you start running around because questions that dealt with things in the same attraction or around that attraction, those questions were not next to each other. They could be a page or two away. So you definitely had to try to plan something out beforehand. And again, I thought it was a lot of fun. I think it was a great... I'm happy that they did this at the end because I was exhausted by the time the five-hour day was over. But it, it was a great way to, to bring a level of interactivity to the event, which I thought was was somewhat absent from the first couple of days where you're sitting there listening. You are really sort of an, an active part of what was going on. And I, and I bring it up at the end because 
it is something that's going to come to Walt Disney World's Destination D event, although it's going to be over two days, uh, and it's going to be two days before the seminar events begin. So they're going to kind of flip-flop it, try it that way. Uh, I, I think that's going to be very interesting because of the dynamic of the Walt Disney World guests and the Walt Disney World enthusiasts. Two days, there's four parks, there's like 900 resorts, it's a big space, so it's going to be uh, curiouser and curiouser uh, to see how they do it. And I kept this out separate because one of the other announcements when there was the D23 Expo 2011 sneak peek was another level of interactivity that they're bringing to that event as well, and that is the trivia challenge. And they sort of gave us a sneak peek of that by having a mini trivia challenge here, and they're going to have a number of rounds of events during the day and have semifinals and finals, uh, and they sort of did a little, and I think a smart move on their part, sort of a test run to see how it worked um, getting ready for the expo next year. How do you think that changes or how do you think that adds to the dynamic of the expo? That's a really good question, Lou. <laughs> that means Becky doesn't know how to answer. So, I, It's going to be very interesting because it'll actually make a lot of us D23 members, you know, the presentation or, you know, we'll be up on stage, you know, doing that. So that that's going to be quite interesting dynamic. You don't have to study for the expo next year. Now, see, those questions, that, the, the ones that the, those were not hard or easy those were very very hard there were hard balls being thrown there i got through one or two of the questions and then three or four that i was just going i was looking at people around me and they were all like shaking their heads like i have no idea so it's gonna take some pretty big trivia people to win this one right lou <laughs> and i think it's going to appeal to those people that do love the parks and they do love the history and want a chance to sort of show off their stuff and be a part of the event not just as a guest and attendee Oh, yeah. One thing, though, that we saw, the the graphic they gave for the scavenger hunt, it gave you the biggest hint and biggest clue to help you out with it. Memorize Dave Smith's encyclopedia <laughs> A to Z of Disney. <laughs> Although I would, you know, for the coming to Walt Disney World, there's a couple of books and audio guides I would recommend as well, but I'm biased to say the least. So, um, and, and yeah, look, and, and I got to give huge props, and did I just say props? I want to give huge credit to Henry Work from Touring Plans yeah. and his team, who came in first. Um, you know, and he's, Henry's so sneaky because he's like, eh, I don't know, we did all right. He's taking his bib off. And look, you know, I, I said it in my tweet, man, it shows Touring Plans work. Um, he had his strategy down, and it shows it's not about what you know about Disneyland. It's you know how to approach the parks. And, of course, huge monster credit also goes to my teammate, Scott Otis, who single-handedly no, no, brought no. us in at, at sixth place. Both of you. Ah, shucks. <laughs> I take 50.5% credit of this. You, you were great, too. Well, it was, a, it was a, a, a lot of fun throughout the whole thing, and, that, and that's what it was. It wasn't, you know, we sort of, you want to do well and see how well that you do, but it was, we were just having such a good time doing it, and I think all the teams seem to do that, and, I, and that's why I think this was such and it should be a vital part of Destination D and the Expo going forward. Yeah, I thought that it was 
amazing to see everybody in the energy. You know, too bad it was so hot. I think if it was about 15 or 20 degrees lower, everyone would have been bouncing off the walls when they came back. But to see the faces, a little tired, but yet everyone was so excited and had so much fun. And I had, I heard nothing but really positive feedback on, on the event and, and the bonding and a little bit of competition. But yet some people were saying that they really didn't feel it was a competition against each other. It was more against the competition of the clock. So I hope that they keep this tradition going. Yeah, and again, I think I think um, we all agree that I think it was a great event. Um, it, it was it was very well done, especially for the first time. But I wanted to sort of leave you with by asking you one question, and that is, if you could and you sort of get the ear of D twenty three, what would you like to see? What didn't you see this year that you'd like to see maybe coming next year? That is a difficult question because it was just uh, great how they did it. I, obviously, we're going to see things at Walt Disney World that's going to be focused, I hope, on the creation of the park, more the history of how it came about, even the attractions they considered that they didn't even bother to put in at the time. Because I, I almost can guarantee Thunder Mace is going to have a big <laughs> presentation right there, and they're going to have everybody just literally latched onto that. I wonder how many times people are going to go bring back Horizons, bring back Dreamfinder in Walt Disney World next year. So, um, I'd like to see just a little bit of a change in the schedule, just even a little bit of a break up in there. It sounds like it might be a little bit more days, hopefully. Something to add a little social piece to it, maybe not a lot, not trying to make it expo, but trying to give it something that allows us to, to get up out of our chairs every now and then would be nice. I don't even need to ask you if you're all planning on going to both Destination D and the Expo next year. I think the general consensus is yes. And I think we saw people coming out were saying, okay, Becky, when can we start booking rooms? What are the dates? What do you know? So uh, I think that's a testament to how well this this event was run. And I will tell you, as soon as we know the dates, we are going to have a package and we're going to have an event. So watch for it. Awesome. Well, everybody, uh, thank you for joining me tonight. Thank you for helping to make... This uh, a great event, not just Destination D, but a great trip out to Disneyland. So, and, and I invite anybody who's listening, if you attended Destination D, to post your comments in this week's show notes, of either about what you thought about the event, what you'd like to see, what you'd like to see maybe changed. And if you didn't come out, uh, what do you think? Do you think that you, that you are you kicking yourself, that, that you missed something, or are you looking forward to maybe coming to what's in Walt Disney World uh, in 2011? Again, you can post in the comments over at www.radio.com. Everybody, I want to say thank you once again, and uh, certainly I will see you in Walt Disney World. And thank you for co-hosting this wonderful event on Thursday, because without you, I would not have been able to pull it off. And it was my inaugural event for Disneyland, so thank you. Thanks, everybody. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thanks so much for taking the time and tuning in. Hope you enjoyed our recap of Destination D. And hopefully this will maybe inspire you to come to next year's Destination D event, Spring 2011 in Walt Disney World, 
and the D23 Expo in August 2011 in Anaheim, California. Big thanks go out to my friends and guests, Scott Otis, Jeremy Marks, Becky Mankin, Doug, Lee, and Lori, and all of our friends over at D23. Whether we've met before or for the first time, I really appreciate you making this trip so fun and memorable for me. A couple of other quick thanks. Thanks to Bill Rogers, the voice of Disneyland, for the intro bumper. And to my friends Paul Anderson, Tim O'Day, John Tartaglia, Richard Sherman, and Dave Smith for really helping out and making this such an incredible event. In this week's show notes over at www.radio.com, I'll post some of my photos as well as links to some of the other photo streams from some of our friends so you can get an idea of exactly what was going on over at D23. While you're there, don't forget to check out the blogs, photo galleries, discussion forums, videos, and so, so much more, as well as the WDW Radio Shop, where you can get signed copies of my Walt Disney World trivia books and my audio guides to Walt Disney World on CD and download. Liberty Square and Toontown have just been released, and you can also get Main Street, Adventureland, and Fantasy as well. You can also download the free WDW Radio iPhone app, subscribe to our newsletter, and find out all the different ways to connect with me and the show through Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, FriendFeed, and so, so much more. While you're there or in iTunes, don't forget you can also go back and check out older episodes of the show, going right back to the very first episode. Many of them are evergreen and include things like exclusive interviews and looks at current and former Walt Disney World attractions, so, so much more. I think you'll probably find something in there that you'll like, especially if you're a new listener. Speaking of Disney events, just a quick reminder about some upcoming events, including our annual walkabout during the Food and Wine Festival. That's Friday, October 1st, also Walt Disney World's birthday. We're going to meet up around 2.30 as you cross over the bridge from Future World into World Showcase. From there, we'll wander the promenade sampling from the food and wine pavilions recording for the show if you can't make it that day come by the next morning for breakfast on the boardwalk for our meet of the month that'll be saturday at 9 30 a.m we're going to meet over at the boardwalk bakery Uh, this way if you don't have a park ticket you can come by join us have a little bit of breakfast and then we'll probably stroll over to epcot around 11 30 or so the following weekend also during the food and wine festival the swan and dolphin is holding their first annual Food and Wine Classic, October 8th and 9th, starting at 4.30 p.m. at the Causeway in between the Swan and the Dolphin. There are beverage seminars, tasting stations, wine blending, sake, beer, champagne demonstrations, and so, so much more. And of course, you get to sample food from places like Todd English's Blue Zoo, Shula's, Il Molino, Kimono's, and so, so much more. You can get day of event only tickets or you can purchase a la carte sampling tickets for about $2 per ticket or a booklet of tickets for $45. For more information, visit this week's show notes or the homepage of WDWRadio.com. There you'll find a link directly to more information about the Swan and Dolphin Food and Wine Classic. I'm still working on dates for November and December's Meets of the Month, but looking forward to 2011, don't forget we have the WDW Radio Cruise aboard the Disney Dream, February 27th. There is now additional availability as Disney has released additional inside staterooms. So if you're looking to join us, want to maybe get one of those inside staterooms, there are a limited number of available on the Disney Dream. For more information and a free no-obligation quote, visit www.radiocruise.com. And if you're coming on the cruise, want to get some cruise logo gear, we do have a link to the Cafe Press Store right on that page as well. 
I haven't done a contest in a few weeks, and that means I'm probably getting ready to call a random listener. So if you want a chance to play Listener Fact or Fiction, get on the air, answer some true or false trivia questions about Walt Disney World, email me at factorfiction at wdwradio.com. Be sure to include your name and your phone number. Never know if you might be the one that I call to play next. Or if you have a question that you want answered on the air, you can email me at lou at wdwradio.com. Or if you want to be heard on the air, call the toll-free voicemail line anytime at 888-703-2171. Be sure and stay tuned to the show for some announcements about some upcoming projects and, and ideas that I've been working on. Best way to stay connected, though, is through Twitter. It's twitter.com slash Mangello and facebook.com slash wdwradio. Again, because of Facebook's imposed limit, I can't accept any friend requests, but I do post all of my updates on the WDW Radio page. Those are also the best ways to find out about the next WDW Radio live video broadcast and chat that'll be coming up very, very soon. And again, big thanks to all the box people that joined us for Destination D. Happy to bring the meat of the month and some ride-throughs and some pretty special things that took place over in the Enchanted Tiki Room. Big thanks to the world-famous Andrew over at the Tiki Room for making that happen for us again. To everybody that joined us for five minutes or the entire few hours at Disneyland, thank you so much uh, to the box people. Really love you guys. Appreciate you tuning in. As always, my friends, if you like the show, all I ask is that you please help spread the word. Let others know about it. Tweet out that you're listening or share the link to the show over on Facebook. And if you can, please come by, review the show or the free WDW Radio iPhone app over in iTunes. And of course, my friends, in the last couple of weeks, have really proved that you guys are my friends, whether we have met or not. Thank you so much for taking the time and tuning in this and every week. So until next time, I want you to take that first step towards pursuing your passion and always keep moving forward. Get inspired. Get motivated. Don't ever give up. You can do anything you put your mind to. And most of all, I hope you guys have a great week this week. Thanks again for tuning in. See ya. Hey, Lou. This is Mary Jo Collins. I was just calling to say thank you so much for all of your updates from Destination D. Sound amazing. I hope that I will get to attend the Destination D next spring in Walt Disney World. Um, that would be a real treat. Anyway, I wanted to make a personal shout-out to someone. I hope he's listening. I heard that he's a big fan of the show, and that is John Fertaglia. If you're listening, we want to invite you to join us on the cruise in February. Um, It would be a lot, a lot of fun. We promise that um, we are good people. (laughs) Anyway, Lou, thank you so much, and talk to you soon. Bye. Hey, Lou and WDW Radio community. This is Trista. Uh, Tom and I just came back from our Disneyland trip. And by just, I mean a week ago, but it's been so crazy. I'm really excited to hear the show about Destination D. We were sad that we missed it, but oh, we had such a wonderful, wonderful trip. Um, we met up with fellow listener Scott Otis out there, and he got us a ride on the Lily Bell, and we all went on there, and that was wonderful. And then goodness gracious, we saw World of Color twice and cried and Fantasmic twice and cried and Remember Dreams Come True and cried. We stopped at the Walt Disney Family Museum and cried. <laughs> so you're noticing a theme, but it was happy. It was a happy trip. Um, we had a great time. Um, 
top highlight pushed the talking trash can saying happy birthday to Tom in uh, Tomorrowland, and that was fabulous. I just posted it on your Facebook, uh, the WW Radio Facebook, so people can see my brother-in-law caught some of it on video. It was so much fun. Just all these really fun little highlights that happened that were just and a Disney geek dream come true, um, running into just the right people, meeting um, Disney legends and current Imagineers. We wrapped up with a dinner uh, about um, in the Disneyland Grand Ballroom, the um, Disney Hotel and in the Grand Ballroom there, and got to meet and talk to Exitensio and Alice Davis, um, Floyd Norman, um, our good friend Bob Gurr again, got all their autographs, got to talk to them, hear stories from them. It was just magical. It was just amazing. So still coming down off the high, um, but I just wanted to let everyone know how our trip went. A lot of people wanted to know, so I thought this would be the best way to tell you. Tom was surprised by everything, all the things that were surprised, you know, for him. He just absolutely loved So I really encourage anybody, if you are a Disney fan and you have not been to Disneyland because you live far away or because you think it's too small or whatever you think, you really need to go and make it uh, a trip that really centers around history and the the man, Walt Disney, because that's what we did, and it was just unforgettable. So love you all in that great big Disney community out there, and uh, we'll see you soon. Hi, Lou. This is Henry, the guy who gave you the chocolate macadamia nuts. Just got out of Destination 55. Really enjoyed it. Hope you enjoyed it, too. And I'll see you later. Aloha. Hey, Lou. It's... Uh Canadian box guy here, Bob from Ottawa, and I was just uh, listening to the podcast with Dave Smith, and I just wanted to call in and say uh, it was great uh, hearing Dave Smith talk, and my wife, Tina, and myself were lucky enough to be able to go on the tour uh, in the archives and meet Dave, and when we were uh, dropping your name to him uh, and um, talking about that same story, you talked about the bird once before, uh, he started doing the exact same thing, picking up the... uh, a little bird there and uh, making it chirp and stuff like that. So it was great to, to hear that, and uh, it was just an awesome time meeting him as well. So just wanted to call in and uh, say that, how much I enjoyed listening to that, and I'm sure Tina, when she gets around to listening to it, she'll do the same thing. So I uh, hope all is well, and looking forward to seeing everyone on the cruise in, I think, about 150 days. So not that we're counting or anything, but uh, keep up the great work and looking forward to seeing everybody. Bye. Hey, Lou. This is John Kahn from Salt Lake City, Utah. I was just calling, first of all, to tell you thank you for all your great work. I know, like so many others, your podcast just brings me so much happiness each week. I also just wanted to give a shout-out to my mom and my dad and my sister, Sarah, and I just wanted to tell them that they're just the absolute best. They're so supportive of my Disney obsession, if you will, and they always let me drag them to the Disney parks each year. I love you guys. Once again, Lou, just keep up the great work. I think I speak on behalf of all Disney fans when I say that you are truly a Disney legend, and you you need to get that award soon. But anyway, I hope you have a magical day, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Bye. (laughs) 